working. There you go. Oh. Yeah. Um, well, lovely to be here. I feel, can I move back a bit? Just in case you throw things at me. Just want to give you a bit of distance. Not really. Um, no, it's great to be here. Thank you, Pat, for um, suggesting that I take on this subject for you, uh, for trusting me with this sensitive um, and important subject. Um, and it's lovely to be here. It's good to see some new faces that I don't recognise as well. Um, and uh, it's been a while since I've been here, but it's, uh, it's lovely to be here. Um, yeah, this subject, I, I wanted to... Um, Maybe just share really the context of why should we be talking about this? And, um, and, and I want us to make sure we're in the right frame of mind when we're looking at this kind of subject. Um, I don't see a clock, by the way, is there? So shall I just go for us? When John walks out to put the kettle on, I know I need to finish. Um, but I think, you know, as a church, we need to know how we engage in love with our, with our society, with our community. Essentially, that is why we're looking at this, um, and that's what's in my heart. We need to recognise that society, um, the world, is going in a different way uh, to what the Bible would teach us, and so we need to ask ourselves, how do we be Jesus? How do we present Christ in love? How do we receive people from that have a variety of different beliefs and understandings and ideologies and just way of life? And um, How do we receive them into our churches? How do we share the good news and how do we believe that Jesus is the answer and the Bible and the truth is the same for everyone? Um, this is really what we need to have this mindset this morning, this, this way of thinking. And we need to be aware of our own truths as well, our own beliefs. Because it might be that you, you have a certain view about um, people that, have, that would come under these other genders and things. that You may have a belief about that is purely natural. Um, and it's not biblical. So we have to align ourselves with the biblical truth. And, and as I understand it, that's why I think this series exists, because there is, uh, we are in a post-truth society. If, you've, if you follow the news and you follow things like fake news and alternative facts and all this kind of thing, essentially it's just a sign of the way that the world is going. Truth is no longer, there is now no longer an absolute truth. Anyone can have their own truth, and I want to touch on that a little bit, because um, uh, just to give you a bit of sense of where we're going this morning, um, I want to touch on these three main sections. Why are we at this place? Why am I talking about this subject? Where, why have we as, as a society got to this point where we're having these discussions and debates about sexuality and gender and things like that? Um, what went wrong? From a biblical perspective, why are we at where we're at? What does the Bible say about sexuality? What does it say about um, truth? Um, and then finally, how do we respond? So that's where I'm going to go this morning. But um, maybe just to start with uh, why we are here. Um, I was remembering the other day that when I was six years old, I went, uh, my mum realised that I needed to go to the opticians. Uh, because I was, apparently I was reading a bit like this, and I don't know, I don't really, I remember her saying to me, you need to go and get your eyes checked. And I went to the opticians, and my mum chose the free ones. If you, I'm 46, so if you, if you were 40 years ago, you remember the free ones the NHS used to give. Mahogany effects, plastic, 
you could bend them and then you get a free one. So they chose them because they thought, they said it's because I'd play football and they might break, but basically it didn't cost anything, that's why they chose them. I put these glasses on, I walked out of the opticians and I fell over on my face because I never realised that my eyesight was as bad as it was until I put these glasses on and I remember it was as if the floor was further away, I stepped out and I fell over. And, um, and it made me think about, you know, you don't know the truth until you see it with the proper glasses on. And when you see it, you realise how badly you got it wrong. And, and I know for me, I mean, I was brought up in a Christian family, but when I became a Christian at 18, there were many things I thought I knew growing up in church which were incorrect. But when God gave me the sight to see, it all became clear. And the world is in a place where they haven't got the, the correct glasses on. So we've got to be careful that we're not going around to people saying, you should know better. They don't know better. They don't know anything other than what they know. So we need to be gracious and loving, just like Jesus was to us, for people that don't know the truth. Um, but this whole thing, it, if you... Um, if you really want to start from the beginning, we can go right back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what I want to share with you this morning is there are different ways you can see the world. For Christians, we need to see it through what the scripture says. This is our truth. This is the word of God. This is um, the, the life and the expression of Jesus um, put to words to help us to understand him more. It is not all of God, because how can you contain God in a book? But it expresses the heart and the, and the, the life of Jesus. So right at the very beginning in creation, we see God created the world. Um, someone might get me a glass of water. Is that all right? Thank you. Um, and this is where we begin. God created man in his own image. Male and female, that's my emphasis there, he created them. That is the only time in the Bible it mentions gender. It never uses the word gender, but it mentions that mankind, humanity, was created in two types, male and female. If we look around the room, we will see the biological expression of those two genders, male and female. That is the only time in the Bible that it mentions different types of gender. And this is really important because if you were to look at the um, creation account in Genesis chapter 1, you see these pairs, light and dark. You see uh, the waters and the sky or the heavens. You see um, the seas and the earth. And then out of those complementary um, pairs, there were things created. So lights in the sky, vegetation on the ground, um, creatures in the sea and on the land. And then he made another complementary pair, man and woman, male and female. And they were made to be complementary. And that's really important because the biblical account is, is that we were made specifically to be man and female, to be complementary, to be one together. That's the, thank you, John. Lovely. So this is really important because um, what we also see right at the very beginning is an attack on truth. Uh, some might say that in this age, there's, there's an attack on truth now, as I was saying, this kind of, does anyone know what I mean by this post-truth politics and post-truth and alternative facts and 
if you read if you read the papers or follow all the kind of social media kind of stuff. But right at the very beginning, there was this statement made: Did God actually say? The first thing that was said that is recorded that was said to Eve that other than God was from the devil in the form of a serpent. And this is this is what he said: He said, "Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden?" If you don't know. Um, God's created this wonderful garden Eden and he said you can eat from everything in here except for one tree and that is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So right at the very beginning, truth was challenged. From the very beginning, there was another truth put forward. So throughout the ages, that's been the work of the, the, the devil, essentially, is to discard the truth of God and to introduce another truth. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be truth of all the variety of different religions and philosoph philosophies um, and ideas about how to live it doesn't matter what it is, it is an attack on truth. So, and this is really important because we have to understand why we are where we're at. We have to understand what makes people tick if we're going to look at this kind of idea about sexuality and gender. So, did God actually say? And the thing that might be in your mind when you heard what was shared this morning as has been encouraged to think about what Simon said is that the doubt that comes in to the word of God comes from the same source right from the very beginning. Did God actually say? So truth is um, under attack. There is an assault on truth and it's an assault on God's created, creative order. See, over time, society changes. Um, I'm 46 this, this week, so still a young man. Um, John is a bit older than me um, and he's seen a lot more of life than I have he's seen a lot more of the changes of society isn't that right John? Um, so the older you are you see that, that society changes over time people are more accepting of things or less accepting of things as society changes are you, uh, am I speaking truth? good um, and what we also realise is that Jesus himself refers to us as sheep he even says he talks about Israel the, the children of Israel which represent humanity as a sheep without a shepherd we like sheep have gone astray and the thing about sheep is that they follow people and they will follow each other over the the end of a cliff um, because they are stupid so we have been and I don't mean to offend anyone here but we have been referred to in scripture like sheep we follow the way that the world goes. Just naturally we follow. And in, Jesus also gave a parable. He said, it talks about the broad way and the narrow way. And the, the broad way leads to damnation. And the narrow way leads to life. The broad way is the way that everyone is going. It's the way that the river flows. If, you, if you're not going forward, you're just going with the flow. And that's the broad way. But we as Christians are taught that we need to be swimming upstream. We need to be going against the flow. We're going through in the narrow way. We're the ones that are going in a different direction. So the reason I say this is because 
if we understand society and how society's going, we may find that actually we're following it. And truth has become our own kind of truth. So you don't listen to the preacher, you make up your own mind. Because you're just influenced with the way that society's going. So I want you to, um, hopefully this will help you, because I've got a diagram. Um, over the last 500 years, the way that people see the world, the way that people make their decisions, the way that people are more accepting or less accepting has changed. So up to about um, the 1600s, that was known as the pre-modern era. And that was um, essentially everyone in England, you say, we were all Catholics, we were, we were, um, and essentially we followed the, uh, the teaching of the Catholic Church, we recognised the authority of the church and of the, and of the, the royal uh, authority, and we just followed it. That was our kind of general existence. And you could typify that, that we made our decisions and we saw life really through the lens of faith. We believed that there was a God, we believed that there was an absolute truth, we believed in authority, and we followed it. And that came up to a point um, where there was, the things happened in Europe particularly, um, there was the wars in Europe, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, you can Google these things later if you want. But essentially, around um, this time, um, about, um, up, you know, from the 17th century onwards, it became this kind of what they called the modern era. Uh, don't worry about the modern, pre-modern, post-modern, all that kind of thing, but the, just look at the changes and what's happening. What happened was, people then started to say, well, hold on a minute. Um, I don't believe in God, but show me fact, and I'll believe in it. So you had this um, revolution, and what the Enlightenment brought in was lots of people questioning authority and only under, uh, believing or following truth if it could be proven through scientific methods. So you had this kind of scientific revolution where you had um, people essentially started to shift from believing by faith into believing through fact. So the decisions they made was whether it was proven. So science was the saviour of mankind, if you like. Yeah, you're following this? So fact, it was all very much fact-based. Up to about mid of the 20th century, when new philosophers came in, they said, well, hold on a minute. Um, instead of really being... Um, led by these truths from outside, philosophers started to say, well, hold on a minute, I've got an opinion. And instead of being led by faith, because of the situation with the, the church and so forth, and instead of being led by facts, by scientists, they were starting to be led by feelings. This is how I feel towards this, and this is the postmodern era. And essentially, there's, authority was questioned, Objective truth, so a truth that is final, was questioned. Certainty was questioned. I mean, some of it is just foolishness, if you look into this, as I have more recently. Um, and this postmodernism makes three very bold statements. It says this. There's no truth, there's no meaning, and there's no certainty. Okay. No truth, no meaning, no certainty. Rabbi, uh, Ravi uh, Zacharias, some of you might know, is a Christian guy who's very smart. Um, he talks about the relationship between a writer and a reader. If you wrote a book, and I gave that book to you, and you read it, then you need to know what I mean by what I wrote in that book. 
I am the authority in that. I decide what I meant in what you're reading. But not with postmodernism. No. Postmodernism says you have equal right to determine what I said. So you can change the meanings of those words to suit you. And that's crazy. Someone who, is a, um, who takes this worldview, and this is the world we're living in up to this present time, people will decide what is true. They will decide what is true based on the way they feel, by the way in which they're, they're led uh, subjectively, by their inner feelings and senses. And, and this is really interesting because this is where we're finding now that people are changing meanings. Um, I mentioned one, of the, one, of, uh, one example. The word marriage is a, one that we might be more familiar with. The whole marriage debate in the whole gender issue, um, people in the society argued on the base of um, equality. But the argument which the church really failed to really make was that marriage, the, the, the debate was about redefining of the word marriage. For the Christian, marriage goes right back to the Garden of Eden. He made the male and female made them. He said that the, the, the man will leave his family, be joined to his wife, they will be made one flesh. It represented the creative order of that complementary pair of, of man and woman. And then we see that right at the end of the Bible where we see this marriage represents Christ and the church being married in this unity this illustration, if you like, a unity of God and people. And that's what marriage represents. As soon as you marry two people of the same sex, that breaks that declaration of God's promise to the world. So the problem was is that people changed the word marriage to suit what they wanted to do, to suit their own truth. You following that? You with me? This is a lot of information, but you, you asked for it, so you're getting it. So let me just recap. So you've, you've got this whole period where we, we would fit in a pre-modern society because we're all Christians. Um, everyone went to church. Everyone went to Sunday school. And then we could have existed in the fact science just proves what God has done. I mean, scientists are now redefining words. That's another story. Um, we went from faith to fact to feelings. Now, gender, this is what people say now, gender is not a fact anymore. It is a, what they call a social construct. That means that society is determining, categorised people. So you can change that depending on how people feel about themselves. So rather than saying it is a biological fact, male and female, they say no, it's determined by society. So the LGBTQ and there's a whole other load of letters that people add on. As people discover, I don't fit into that box. And so people are trying to work out who they are by their feelings, by their inner um, identity, and trying to not fit into a certain box or trying to identify where they are. So again, it's gone from faith to fact to feelings. And this all goes, this, this underlying issue is about truth. The world and our country and society is in, in the West I'm talking about is doing away with truth. And so truth is now, you have your truth, Joyce. Simon has his truth and they can conflict but no one has any right and it is offensive for you to say that my truth is wrong. 
For me to disagree with you is an offence. And there are, there are some really, if I had time, there's some, some really interesting uh, things we could talk about about this. It's funny, it makes you laugh, but it is so concerning. This is the world we live in. And one, at some point, it's just going to collapse. Can, uh, Ravi Zacharias gives an illustration. Can you imagine being on a plane and your pilot was a postmodernist? In other words, say, yeah, I can see that there's no fuel, but I, I believe, I feel that there is. My truth is that we are fine if I just walk off and have a little kip. No, I don't want, I want someone to know exactly what the facts are when they're flying the plane that I'm in. I don't want them to go with the way they feel. Can you imagine in a court of law? Do you swear to tell the truth by the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Well, what truth? There's something fundamentally wrong and, and the church has, a, has an, in, an incredible opportunity which um, we'll get to a bit later, I think. So, what went wrong? So we saw right at the very beginning um, Eve deceived of the serpent, Adam ate the fruit, sin came, man died. Spiritually died and then eventually died physically. And... Um, and this brought about this broken, well, the fall is, is the term. It broke the world. The world is broken. Nature is broken. That's why there is sin. That's why there is disease. That's why there are marriage breakdowns. That's why there is abuse. That's why there is crime. Why everything negative in this world, that's why there was an, there was an earthquake in England, in Wales, apparently, yesterday. That's because of the fall. It's because the world is broken. And what God created, and when he said, this is good... It, doesn't, it makes me wonder, what did it look like before sin came in and broke the world? It's amazing when you just look out now. It's amazing as it is now, but that is broken. We are broken. You're broken, I am broken. And when, only when we meet Jesus and go to heaven will we see what God, how God really created us to be. So, let's keep that in mind. We call that sin. Uh, this is Romans chapter 1. You can follow this in your Bibles if you want, Romans chapter 1. Or I'll put the verses up there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So can you see the pattern? Right from the very beginning the devil said, ah, has God said, is he really true? Suppressing the truth. Right now we see through our sin, our unrighteousness, that's our way of life that it is wrong before God. We are suppressing the truth. For though they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, when you suppress the truth of God, you take your eyes off God and you, you look to creation. You look to man. And for many religions, they would look to the things that God made. They would worship idols. They'd worship the sun, the moon. In the Western society, we worship humanity, essentially. We worship our own endeavours, the things that we can do and the things that we can have. But look at that line there, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And I encourage you, if you look into this, you will see that is so true today. You know, this is, uh, what's interesting about this, <clears throat> do you know... Um, if, if we've gone from faith to fact to feelings, we're led by our feelings. Um, 
Does anyone know this verse? James chapter 1, verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire or strong feelings. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know this verse? You see, do you see the problem here? See, if you're being led by your feelings and not by faith, or even by fact, but by feelings, if you follow the logic of this verse, that we are lured and enticed away, because temptation is not sin. We're lured by the temptation, by our feelings, do we desire something, we give in to it, sin is birthed, and, we, and spiritual death follows. And, and this is what this is the, the essential question. If society now just goes by their feelings... They are simply just entering into sin and sin and sin. There's no guard. There's no, they're, they're, if you go into Ephesians and look at other passages, we wouldn't have time to. The deadening of hearts, the hardening of hearts makes it harder for people to realise the truth. The suppression of truth being led by our feelings. Let me ask you a question. This is one way you can see whether you are influenced by the world we're in. How much of what you do is based on whether you feel like doing it? Let's just take some of the things as a church family, I'm sure, that you're encouraged to do week in, week out. How much of that do you not do because you do not feel like doing it? When you maybe know that is the right thing to do. You know by faith that's the right thing to do, by fact that's the right thing for, to do, but actually you don't do it because you don't feel like doing it. That is the world. That is not God. Now, there are things that we don't do, even though we don't feel like doing it, because we know that we shouldn't do it. But we're led by our faith, or we're led by our understanding. But how much of what you do is purely because you don't feel like doing it? Feelings orientated. See, temptation isn't a sin. And one, I found people thinking that temptation is a sin. Jesus was tempted 40 days and 40 nights, yet without sin. It's only when we're drawn away by our feelings. We have to bring our feelings into check. See, I think this is a, maybe another sermon, but um, the, the, the scripture says, the just shall live by faith, not by feelings. So when we talk about homosexuality, we make a distinction between same-sex attraction and homosexual, homosexual lifestyles. Let me use those words. Now, there might be people, even in this room or in churches, that, that will struggle with same-sex attraction, but they don't live or haven't adopted a homosexual lifestyle. They haven't practically entered into that. So there's and I think this is really important um, <clears throat> because you feel something doesn't mean it is you because you identify a certain way it doesn't mean it's you because you subjectively feel or experience certain things it doesn't make it you and I don't think there's enough teaching in our churches about this because often people will jump straight to it. If you feel same-sex attraction, you're gay. And, and what is really refreshing, there's a, there's a website, it's called livingout.org, 
which is fantastic, of Christians who have recognised that due to nature and the fall of nature, we are all broken physically. Some of us might have physical issues. Some of us might have mental issues. Some of us might have um, sexuality issues, if you like. But what they've recognised is that in Christ, they are sons of God. And they recognise their weakness and they're living for God. Not just living in a homosexual lifestyle. No. They're living for God. And there's a big distinction there. But what does the New Testament say about this? Do you know... So when I'm... And there's a point for me saying that. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's another verse. The law is not laid down for the just... This is 1 Timothy 1, 9-10. But for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So he makes a particular point, and Paul uses this word, Arsonokoi, asona, you don't really care, do you? Arsonokoita, um, translated in, in this version, men who practice homosexuality. It's a catch-all term of all forms of homosexual conduct. In other words, what he's not saying is this. If you experience same-sex um, feelings, you will not inherit. He's not saying that. He's saying if you adopt and embrace a lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But our churches should be full of people that are finding God in spite of same-sex attraction and finding Jesus in the midst of it. The problem is, is that they're put off because we have put everyone into this big thing and put a big no sign in our attitudes and in our experiences towards people and they wouldn't come near us with a barge pole. There's a verse which I haven't put down which I'll try to say maybe someone can find it and it, uh, where Paul goes on and he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were, I can't remember the other word. So can you be a Christian and be same-sex attracted? Yes. I remember my daughter coming home from school. They must have had some debate, she goes to a girl's school, must have had some debate about uh, you know, sexuality and gender. And she came and said, who said, like really quite angry, who said you can't be gay and a Christian? She was really, you know, like, who said that? You know, anyone can, you know. And I said, I said, Esther, anyone can come to Jesus. But not everyone wants to be changed by Jesus. That's the crucial thing. Whether you're identified gay, straight, neutral, fluid, whatever you bracket you put yourself in, everyone can come to Jesus. It's the only reason that we were allowed in. It's nothing different. Look at these other things. Has anyone striked their father and mother next to murderer? Liars. Anyone lied? You see, we have this habit of putting homosexuality as this, this really bad sin alongside abuse of children. And yet, do you know how often liars are mentioned in these lists? Disobedient to parents is in Romans, which we're seeing a bit. So we need, to, we need to check our own hearts. We need to look at our own 
hearts and say, what am I putting on people? That I'm, what's the plank that's in my eye when I'm looking at the speck in them? So who has the right to say to someone, Patrick, you shouldn't feel that way? What kind of law am I putting on Patrick to tell him he shouldn't feel that way? Can you stop the way you feel? I can't. I can push it aside. I can rebuke it and resist feelings. How many of you men are attracted to other women other than your wives? Or you wives attracted to other men? What do you do with it? You suppress it. You say, I'm not having that. I've got one eye on for my wife. Does that shock you? shouldn't shock you I'm so glad for the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit Amen let's look at this more of Romans so therefore so mankind the humanity has suppressed the truth we've given up on God and um, and this is the kind of implications of what's happened over the ages therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God, can you see the underlying principle here, for a lie that came right from the devil and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. God gave them up means that God removed the restriction of grace that was upon us to keep us from going in the direction that we wanted to go. He didn't say that God then gave them the okay to go into those things. He withdrew his grace that was stopping mankind from going the way they wanted to go. Instead of worshipping God, we worshipped ourselves. Next one. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonourable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error so this other implication is we see men and women desiring one another based on their internal desires rather than their biological makeup now some would say to Uh, in order to justify why um, those that were following and living a homosexual lifestyle can be Christians, they take this passage and they say that the natural relations of a a lesbian is for a woman. For a, a, a lesbian to have a relationship with a man would be unnatural. Now, that would be fine, and I have not got any of the Old Testament texts this morning, if it didn't contradict with the other scripture. So we have to understand what is natural from a biblical perspective. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, male and female who created them. The Genesis account, complementary prayers, um, pairs, that is natural. <clears throat> Some people say, uh, because God made me this way, therefore God accepts me this way. Now, again, there's no biblical basis for that because the Bible says that when we come to God, we must die to ourselves. 
We must go into the ground um, uh, spiritually, in baptism, in Christ's death, and be resurrected a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has begun. We are not, God didn't make me to be broken. That was, a con, that was because of sin. He didn't make me to be the way I am. You see? So God didn't make a gay person gay. That is because sin has entered the world and broken the world. But he has made a way that we may find him nonetheless. That's grace. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of, e of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And you see the language of doing and practice. Because I, I know, I'm, maybe I'm just going over on this, but I want to labour this point. It's not how you feel, it's what you do. It's what you do with your feelings. It's not because you feel the way you feel. And that is across the board. Any issue that comes into your heart and mind doesn't mean that that's you. You can find every need in Christ for your condition. Whatever your condition is, whatever the thoughts that come into your mind, this is the third implication. Our minds, we start thinking things that are just wrong. Amen. You were just, you were just focused, weren't you, Joyce? Oh, did it? We allow thoughts that lead to a whole list of sins. Again, I want to just point you out to those different sins. Disobedient to parents. That's how I know. If you've got kids, you know that there's sin in our kids. <laughs> Amen. So we see this process. We abandon God. God's removed the restriction of his grace and humanity just continues down this broad way of destruction and it just opens up to a whole list of problems. So let me just recap, okay? We've gone from faith to fact to feelings. We are now as a society led by our feelings. My truth is my truth. If you disagree with me, and this is where things are heading, is that with this particular agenda, that if you disagree, it's hate speech. If you have a differing uh, uh, opinion, it's hate speech. So um, we are, and thank you, Patrick, I am at, uh, um, at risk of being called a hater and a bigger, and thank you, Patrick, for inviting me to do this. Um, but that's just a way, but I want us to understand the condition. That's why people think that, because that's the condition of this society. In other words, we need to be gracious. Well, let me just jump into these. What is our response? How do we respond to these things? Um, people are feeling certain things because of the brokenness of their being. They're only going the way that society has created a platform for. How do we respond to that? What if we've got people in our families that are coming into our churches or that you work with or that you socialise with? And, um, and I've just got six things and then maybe a couple of questions at the end to, to finish with. The first one is this, we must be people of the truth. 
you must know the truth. Jesus said that, um, uh, oh, crumbs, I've forgotten the verse now, about truth. He says, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. The Spirit talks about the Spirit coming. I'll mention that later. But see, if we don't know the truth, see, part of why we want to do this Bible study course um, uh, in Eltham is because we're finding there is a lot of people that are coming to know Jesus and they have no background whatsoever in church. They don't know anything about God. And what happens is, if you don't know anything about God, you will fill in the gaps Often it would be influenced by what you can take out of church mixed with what the world says about God. And people in the world don't know God. So I want to encourage you to see this as an opportunity for you to be built up in truth so you know what you believe. You know the truth. And not only will it set you free, but it will give you an opportunity because the other stream is we found there are people that are teaching others and they don't know the depth that they need to know in order to teach others or to be a witness to others. That's why we're doing this thing in Elton. So. But we need to know the truth. We need to be able to share it and not use it as a weapon to brow people into uh, agreeing. Number two, we must be people of grace and love. Do you know what uh, saddens me when you hear about uh, people or just simply just telling people how wrong they are, how sick they are, how all these kind of things, and you think... How is anyone going to hear Jesus through that? But maybe for you, it's to share your testimony of grace. Maybe it's for you to recognise, say, do you know what? I realise you are where you're at, but maybe it is because of your background. Maybe it is the way you were born. It doesn't matter. We all need Jesus. God has saved me by his grace. There's grace for you. Surely that's the better way. Number three, we must be people who show the way to Jesus. See, Jesus is the answer, not whether we can persuade them to agree with this truth. It's Jesus. The only reason we have understood this is because the Holy Spirit has made it real to us. <clears throat> See, it's Jesus that people need. They don't need to be overcome by a winning argument. They don't need to just have all the facts. They need to know Jesus. And Jesus is known through you, through your kindness, through your love, through your acceptance, through your time, through your truth. I think it's, it says in Ephesians 4 about truth in love, sharing the truth in love. Number four, we must not be surprised <clears throat> that same-sex attraction or any other gender issues will present themselves in your families, in our churches and in our society. Don't be surprised. Is this an environment at River Church? If someone in this room was to share openly that they struggle with same-sex attraction, is this an environment for that to happen? Or would you suddenly go, oh, don't know, don't you around my children? No, you, you must have a demon. You must have something wrong with you that's, you know, you can't be a real Christian. Is this a place where people can stand up maybe not at the front, but to share and say, will you pray, will you stand with me? Because I want to follow God, but I know that this is a weakness of me, but in Christ I can find everything that I need. And I need a church family who's going to support me in this, to love me, who's going to be family, who's going to challenge me, who's going to grow me, just like maybe someone here who may be struggling with pornography. Is there an environment where someone can share? 
So let's not be surprised, but let's create an atmosphere that welcomes people from this community. I mean, in our churches, we may people, have people coming dressed in all sorts of ways that will be of concern to what it looks like for our children, things like that. But the children are growing up in a society where this is becoming normal. What is our response to that? We must not be argumentative. We don't have to win an argument. I've been looking, watching a lot of debates about the whole truth issue and, and the things that have really encouraged me the most is when someone has not felt the need to win an argument and they've stood there and they've calmly just shared their opinion, corrected the other person, said, no, it's not what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm observing. And they've just calmly stood it. And at the end of that, they've come away, if you, for want of another word, the winner. Because they didn't feel the need to argue. We can simply share. This is what I believe. I, you, you may have a postmodern view. I've got a biblical view on life. And this is why. This is what God's done in me. And I'm quite happy to share it with you. I'm not going to try and persuade you. Always encouraged by Paul when he said, it didn't come of any persuasive words, but a demonstration of the power of, of the Spirit. See, we, instead of arguing, if we once, it was through our kindness, our service, our love, our care, our welcoming, our smiles, our hugs. And the final one, we must be prayerful. John 16 verse 8 says, And when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. See, when we pray and we say, God, come and move, come and bring revelation, come and open up our eyes to see the truth, maybe that's when people will say, do you know what? I want this Jesus because it's the spirit that reveals to our hearts these are, these are all general things all sorts of things let me ask you these two questions and then I'll close um, <clears throat> the first thing I just want to say this do you struggle with same sex attraction do you struggle with it share it with someone and all that we need is found in Christ you know there are many things that people struggle with singleness there may be um, struggles in their marriage. They may struggle with loneliness. They may struggle with financial struggles. All these things. Everything we need is found in Christ. Everything. He is the treasure. If you're struggling because you want the things of this world, Jesus is the treasure. Do you struggle with entertaining anyone who defines themselves differently? <clears throat> Do you struggle with them? Maybe in your workplace you just feel... It's something that you just don't feel comfortable. And there may be uncleanness in that person that you're re reacting to. Pray for them. Say, God, will you give me a heart that loves the unlovable? That's what Jesus did. I just want to leave you those two things and then I'll, I'll pray and then I'll pass it back to wherever Mark's gone. Simon. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for truth. Thank you, Lord, that you are the truth and the truth does set us free. Lord, we're not wanting to be those that just shaking the Bible at people and just wanting to get people on our side, but we believe, Lord, that your truth sets us free. Lord, it brings us into the reality of knowing you, our Saviour, our God and our King. Lord, we love you. Father, we want others to know you. Lord, I want to pray, Lord, for anyone here. Um, either here now or here 
part of this church or even related to this church somehow, Lord, that you would minister to them your grace and love. They may know that you are all that we need. Lord, that we can find our identity in you. Lord, will you cause us not to be those that are just judgmental, but will you give us a love and a heart, Lord, that seeks to be Jesus to those, Lord, that are in these different brackets, Lord, that this world has created for us in these gender things, Lord. We, we look to you, and I thank you, Father, that you are the truth, and will you cause us to be truth, to know the truth, and to love like you in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.